Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the PCAOB's proposal known as the NOCLAR proposal, which stands for Non-Compliance with Laws and Regulations. So this proposal would direct audit firms to look at their client companies for compliance or legal violations that might be material or might have a material impact on the company's financial situation. That was Matt Keller. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds, the only podcast that takes a deep dive, literally going into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. This week, we take up the PCAOB proposed rules around auditors taking a deep dive into fraud risk and compliance risk, or as Matt said, the no-clar. The award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Welcome back, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, we're recording this on August 7th, which is the last scheduled day for comments, letters, or commentary back to the PCAOB around their rules, or proposed rule, I should say, about uh, auditors and fraud risk audits as a part of an overall audit program going forward for public companies. You wrote a blog post last week about the uh, number of and quality and quantity of comments up until that time. So I thought we should explore that and see it, which way, if any, the wind might be blowing or just see which way the comments are going. So uh, you want to set the stage again for our audience? Yeah, sure, Tom. So this is the PCAOB's proposal known as the NOCLAR proposal, which stands for Non-Compliance with Laws and Regulations. So this proposal would direct audit firms to look at their client companies for compliance or legal violations that might be material or might have a material impact on the company's financial situation. Uh, And if they find potential compliance or legal violations, they must then report that swiftly to both the audit committee and management Uh, And then my understanding is if audit committee and management don't do anything with that information, ultimately, the audit firm would have uh, recourse to be able to report the alleged compliance violation to regulators. Uh, But even before we get there, this Snowclar proposal, as you said, it is out for public comment until today, August 7th, although I think there will continue to be comments coming in. Uh, And Tom, you asked which way the wind has been blowing with public comments. What's fascinating here is that the wind is blowing in two decidedly different directions. On one hand, we have compliance professionals who are generally okay with this idea that audit firms might wind up looking for compliance violations so long as the proposal in its final form would include some stipulation 
that the audit firm must meet with the chief ethics and compliance officer and must review the state of the compliance program with the audit committee. So we have the compliance people who are generally okay with things if we can get that included. On the other hand, we have the audit community out there who are almost uniformly saying, this is a terrible idea. We don't know what we're doing. We're going to need to hire a boatload more legal experts. This is going to drive audit fees through the roof and for relatively little benefit. So we have these starkly different views about whether this proposal is good or bad. Uh, And that is also reflective of the PCAOB itself. When it first proposed this two months ago, uh, it was a 3-2 split in favor of issuing this. But the two audit members or two professional auditors who are on the PCAOB board, both of them said, don't do this. This is not a good idea. Auditors don't know how to do this. Trust us. We are the auditors on this board. You should listen to us. And the three non-auditors on the PCAOB said, no, this is in the interest of investors who do have a right to expect that compliance violations, which could really harm an investor's financial position, somebody should be looking out for investors there. The auditors should be doing that as part of their job. That is what the majority of the PCAOB board said. So we have this out for comment. It's coming to a close. And we have these fierce differences of opinion that are still going on right now. Could we take up uh, some of the comments you touched on in your blog post? And I want to focus on our friend Jerry Zach, yep. who is the chief executive officer of the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, or SCCE. I thought he encapsulated uh, one school of thought pretty well. You want to take us through that? Yeah, sure. So uh, Jerry had said before, he had mentioned to me that he didn't think this was that far-fetched for compliance, for auditors to do this. Um, And then on July 20th, he published basically an open letter to SCCE members saying that they should submit comments. And he submitted a a model comment to his membership that if you wanted to say something, it could kind of look like this, where he basically said that... um, Let me see if I have the the direct material right here. A critical step in drawing important conclusions about the compliance program's ability to prevent, identify, and investigate compliance issues should involve speaking with the person who has direct responsibility for the program. Uh, The standard refers to making inquiries of others, quote-unquote, likely to have knowledge about instances of noncompliance. Why not require auditors to make this inquiry with the head of compliance, Who better suited to discuss the state of compliance? Hopefully, it's the chief compliance officer. Um, So I see where Jerry is coming from, and uh, very good channeling of his membership because a bunch of compliance officers, after he circulated that, they did submit comments to the PCAOB, pretty much supporting what Jerry had proposed there. Um, I see where he's going, and he's not wrong to float this idea that if we are looking for compliance violations, should we not talk to the compliance officer? Because is that person not the one who would most likely know what the compliance violations may or may not be? Um, It is worth noting that the proposal so far says the external auditor should ask the internal auditor, are you aware of any compliance violations? For various reasons, I think that's kind of problematic, but I mean, all things being equal, if you want to find out about compliance violations, should you talk to the internal auditor or the compliance officer? I mean, duh, you should talk to the compliance officer. 
Um, so Jerry's position is that, okay, we could make this all work if we all hold hands, but the compliance officer should be much more heavily involved in this process. That's where he comes down. And from the auditor side, you pointed to a letter from Jeffrey Johans, the chair of the professional standards of the Texas Society of CPAs. What did you see from his letter that interested you, Matt? Uh, well, Mr. Johans, who I have uh, swapped comments on LinkedIn before on various things. I know of him, but I don't know him well. But, I mean, Mr. Johans, you know, he kind of put his finger on the root of the problem is that we are asking auditors to become compliance and legal violation experts. And the people who are those experts are most commonly lawyers or other compliance professionals who are not auditors. Um, compliance auditors don't know how to do audits. Likewise, that runs in the other way. Compliance of, uh, internal auditors or external auditors don't necessarily know how to manage compliance violations or even how you would handle an investigation or what that might be. Um, he rightly pointed out that this is a very big expansion of what auditors would need to think about. And he and others had also said, think this through. If we have to look for compliance violations that are material to the company, we first need to know what are those violations that are or regulations that are material. So we need to look at all possible regulations that may or may not apply to my company here, my client, and then narrow it down to which ones are material. That is a huge legal analysis and risk assessment that you have to do. Um, and, you know, are you going to have audit firms hiring legal specialists to be able to conduct this analysis? Uh, are you going to have to hire them for overseas? Because if you're a multinational company, you're dealing with regulations in the EU. You might be dealing with them in China, in the United States, in Canada, and Mexico, and who knows what other markets. So um, he basically said that this is going to be a big ask. And then number two, auditors would also become so worried about the potential liability for missing a compliance failure that they might obsess over the compliance issues much more than the audit issues, because at least they know how to do an audit. And they might subconsciously think that part I get, the financial audit. So I'm going to make that the second thing. But the big thing I have to worry about is the thing I don't really know, which is the compliance violation. Now, as much as I love a good compliance violation, the plain truth is most companies don't have material compliance violations most of the time. All companies have financial statements they need to get out to investors every quarter. So if you lull yourself into thinking, I'll get to the audit later because I'm obsessed over potential compliance violations, because if I screw that up, I might get sued. If that's your thinking, you are doing a disservice to the investors. You know, auditors do have a day job doing the audit, which investors do look at and, you know, studying the financial statements. So that was his contention that this is not workable in practice, as much as it might be a nice theory. Are we stuck in a circular argument that auditors can't look at compliance, but compliance and lawyers can't do audits? So if there's a compliance violation, tough luck investors and the same with fraud? No, it not necessarily. I wouldn't say that, but it's more like we have to appreciate the limitations of the resources we have here. If you want audit firms to look for a compliance violations, sure, they can do that. I mean, they're ultimately just advisory firms. What are they going to do? Anything somebody pays them to do. But who's going to pay them for that? 
it's ultimately going to be the investors because they are the ones who own the company and the company you know signs the check on the audit fees so is that really going to be worth it i keep coming back to the risk and reward uh, equation here or maybe you know put it more bluntly is the juice worth the squeeze because this is really going to be a big squeeze on the annual audit process for probably what will be a statement at the end saying, we didn't find any compliance violations. But here's your audit fee, which is now twice as large as it was before for basically the same volume of assurance that you're getting. Like, I don't know that this is really going to be worth it. Um, I struggle with that because I like the idea that auditors should also be looking for material compliance violations. But I still struggle to, to, to get there. I just can't do it because this breaks down in reality. How is this actually going to work? And, you know, the PCAOB hasn't really explained that yet. Maybe they'll do some regulatory magic and we'll see a great final rule that they may or may not adopt sometime soon. But as proposed right now, like, yikes, this is a big thing that audit firms are being asked to do. Um, Tom, we should stress that as of today, August 7th, when you and I are talking, the big four audit firms have not yet submitted comments on this. I think that's important because they are really, in my estimation, the only firms that arguably could do this right out of the gate. Like, they could do it, but my intelligence is that they don't actually want to do this. Um, The Center for Audit Quality, which is basically the lobbying arm for the audit industry, they, as far as I can tell, they haven't submitted a comment either, but I don't think they're in favor of this um, because they are, you know, they are reticent to wind up being even more of a boogeyman in the corporate governance world. Nobody likes auditors. Everybody complains about the audit fees. A big scandal happens anyways. And the first question everybody asks is, well, where were the auditors? This would answer that question. This would force them to be somewhere, but it's going to come at a price. And I don't know if we are all ready to pay it. Well, Matt, the Financial Times reported that the Center for Audit Quality, the group uh, you referenced, has asked corporate directors to sign on to a letter attacking this plan with the language uh, quoted in the FT article, quote, auditors are not lawyers. And as a result, the proposed amendment would expand the auditor's role to include knowledge and expertise outside their core competencies. The proposal would substantially increase the cost of audit without a commensurate benefit. Now, I recognize you said that much more artfully uh, as well, but if that's the type of comment or response that the Center for Audit Quality, the big four, their directors are going to put forward back to the PCAOB, um, how would we think the PCAOB would take that information given that it was already a 3-2 vote to move forward with a proposed rule? Um, that is an excellent question. Now, the, the plain truth is I don't know. Um, you know, you can certainly see that all five board members of the PCAOB, they did put out their own statements here. Um, at least two of them, uh, the chair, Erica Williams, and Kara Stein, a former Democratic appointee to the Securities and Exchange Commission, like they're, they're in favor of this, and I'm hard-pressed to see how they might change their vote. I'm not sure that where the uh, other third uh, one in favor of this would come down in, in, you know, what would they need to be able to change their minds on this, any of the three who voted in favor of it? Um, 
I I don't know. I mean, right now, I think the interesting thing is I haven't seen a clear and compelling groundswell of support in favor of this. Um, even, you know, the SCCE and Jerry Zach, they are saying that they want compliance officers involved in it. But that's not the same as saying here is why this is good for investors. Um, there are board directors now who are coming out against this. Uh, the subsidiary of the Center for Audit Quality is a group called the Audit Committee Council. That is a collection of audit committee board members uh, from various large companies. I think the Audit Committee Council submitted a letter last week with about 12 or 15 signatories on it. Uh, board directors from considerable companies, I don't remember all of them, but you know, publicly traded Fortune 500 companies, and they basically did say, this is going to make life much more complicated for a lot of people, including, one should think, Remember, the audit committee, the audit committee already has a bear of a job at a lot of large companies where they're going through all sorts of stuff. And it's just in the financial audit and financial reporting. Now, if they also need to weigh in on ethics and compliance violations or legal violations, that's that much more work for the large company. Uh, what if the large company has a separate committee that does handle um, compliance and risk management and cybersecurity and whatnot, some sort of um, ethics and risk committee of a board that's not far-fetched. So is the audit committee or the auditor supposed to present to both of them? Um, Are you supposed to present to them together or separately? How does this work? You know, we have a lot of devils in the details here that haven't been answered. But I, you know, I'll see a lot of... um, Activists, good governance activists who are in favor of the idea and basically are saying, shove it, audit firms. You know, we need to get this done. Investors deserve protection, so go and do it. I don't think that's a valid answer because auditors are not lawyers. Like, yeah, auditors know lawyers. First off, a lot of auditors, a lot of employees at the big four, you know, they are lawyers. They have legal experience. They know how to find lawyers. I would be more concerned for smaller companies that might have second-tier law for audit firms because, no, those second-tier audit firms, once we're outside of the big four and a couple of others, a lot of audit firms are going to really struggle with this. They're going to wind up having to hire specialists. Um, you know, how is this going to work? A lot of second-tier companies, they are going to have just the audit committee. It's going to be handling even more issues and even more work. Um, to what end? I, I don't know that we've got rampant material compliance violations out there that we're waiting for the ground to fall out beneath our feet. And, you know, suddenly it's like the dot-com implosion of the late 90s all over again. I don't think that's happening. I don't think most companies have major material compliance violations that are just going unreported. But you'd have to pay to be able to confirm all of that. And like, to what end? I don't know. Matt, uh, one of the <laughs> things uh, we've seen with the SEC from time to time is an extension of the comment period. Any thoughts that we might get an extension or do you think really both sides will have articulated their position that the PCAOB could move forward with their decision as of the end of business today? Uh, I would not be surprised if we see comment letters continue to come into the PCAOB regardless of the deadline, which is not an unusual thing. Um, I see that with SEC proposals. I see it with PCAOB proposals. Uh, I would say, though, Tom, when you said both sides have articulated their their fighting grounds, really, I would say only one side so far has done this, is that the audit group 
the ones opposed to this, they've laid out extensive comments on why they think this is a bad idea. Um, the only ones who have come out really in favor of this are a handful of governance activists and SCCE saying, if you're going to pursue this idea, please make this change. But, you know, change to incorporate the compliance officer's views and input. But that's not the same as saying this is a great idea for investor protection. Um, so I don't know that we really have seen as much of a pro NOCLAR proposal group come out and articulate it yet. The anti-NOCLAR proposal group, like they've done their job, they've done it well, and they're probably going to keep at it because, like I said, we haven't seen an official comment from the CAQ. We haven't seen one from the uh, big four or four from the big four, plus other large audit firms. Um, we should also remember what happens after this is that the PCOB will ultimately adopt a rule. I don't know what it might look like. They might repropose something. They might withdraw this, start all over again. But whatever rules they do adopt, then go to the Securities and Exchange Commission for a final formal blessing that has so far always been done almost as a pro forma thing. The SEC has never rejected a PCAOB rule that the PCAOB has adopted. So that's where we are right now. This could get resolved within a couple of months, could be a year, could be two years, could be never. We don't know. Um, it does strike me as the sort of thing that when PCAOB board members show up at various conferences, they're going to have to talk about this. They're going to have to say where their heads are and what's going on. Um, but, you know, there are various ways to think maybe auditors could do this. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe some compliance violations would be easier to handle than others. Uh, I know some people who say a privacy violation or data security violations Auditors could handle that because a lot of that is about access control, and you know you can test for access control. Audit firms do test for access control as part of a SOX audit, but you know access control isn't really the issue in say an FCPA scandal because everybody who commits an FCPA offense, they're accessing systems they're supposed to. They're just using the systems in an untoward way. But that's not the same as somebody accessing data inappropriately because they filched somebody else's uh, user ID. Um, so I'm not sure how this will all work. It might work with some stuff kind of well, might be terrible with others, might be terrible across the board. But, uh, you know, we clearly have some deep divisions between the audit community saying, uh-uh, this is a bad idea, and others who are saying, yeah, we you know, we could make this work, and if we're going to, maybe do these couple of things here, but sure, why not? I don't know that that's enough of a valid argument to carry the day. Matt, I think one thing we can both agree on is we're going to get to revisit this at some point in the future. Yes, we will. That is for sure. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance in the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog post for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century, Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting and compliance and AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, 
please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.